You may open your Bibles with me to Jude. It only has one chapter, so it's the first chapter that we want to look at, the last chapter, the only chapter of Jude. For our point number 24, we're going to enter right into our study of God's Word without further review of our introduction. We had presented to us this morning Psalm 119, verses 121 through 128, and they fit so well. Teach me thy statutes. We want God to teach us his statutes rather than anyone else, rather than our government, rather than any other man, because the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Some of these points, all of these points combined together, result in a body of truth about relating to civil government that is truly precious and more precious than gold, yea, fine gold. 24 karat stuff, the 99.99% pure gold, it's better than that when you understand this is what God said. He did not leave us in the dark about how we should relate to political government. Then that 128 that David gave to us, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Whatever God says about government, about kings, about our submission and obedience to government, it's right. And we esteem it. We exalt it and we highly honor it. And we hate every false way. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter how many say it. What does God say? And the things that are the most tempting to our souls and minds are the ones that we should put into verse 128 the most, like David tried to apply it to you. Let's not think about Mormonism. Let's not think about Islam when we look at Psalm 119, 128. Let's look at the things that tempt our souls. David's words were secret sins. And we have secret temptations toward government that we want to flush and follow God's word and to hate every false way. Rule number 24, or suggestion number 24. Angels honor human rulers. Angels honor human rulers. And so there's an obvious corollary to that or a product or result of that. We should honor rulers. Jude, verses 8 through 10. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil... He disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Three verses, but I only want that middle verse for the time being. For the point, angels honor human rulers. In this place, the example is given not to speak evil of dignities or dignitaries or civil rulers by the example of Michael the archangel 
not bringing a railing accusation, name-calling, ridicule against the devil himself. The devil himself. So, if you're thinking, but this president is wicked. (laughs) You've missed it. What about the devil himself? The angels themselves. Now that's a pretty big gulf. Because Michael the archangel is called an elect and holy angel. And you are not either in practice. You are not holy in practice like he is. Neither is any ruler on earth as bad as the devil or as opposed to God and Jesus Christ as the devil was. Yet, Michael the archangel did not ridicule him or bring against him name-calling. And so we're taught that right here in this verse. And I want you to remember that. You've been taught it before. This is the word of God. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. We esteem this to be right. That no matter how wicked, we do not rail ridicule, call names, and I detailed exactly what that means in the preaching on 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-12 through 12, a number of months ago. He durst not bring against him a railing accusation because they understand authority. They understand that Lucifer was originally given an exalted position in heaven serving God, and Michael, though the archangel, though above all the other angels that we know of, would not ridicule the devil. Could only say, the Lord rebuke thee. Because Michael had been given an assignment to bury Moses. And he was going to bury him without the devil. So, that's Jude. Now Jude and 2 Peter 2 are like fraternal uh, fraternal twins. And so what we do now is turn back to 2 Peter 2 and see the example that Peter brings instead of Michael and the devil. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. We want to know the word of God. The angels, well above man's authority, do not rail on civil rulers like we do sometimes or may have done in the past. Lord, save us from ever doing it again. No railing accusations. Not speaking evil of dignities. It is not our place to do so. God will take care of them. Wasn't that a previous rule? Yes, it was. 2 Peter 2.10 But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, Bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Notice that this 10th verse is different than Jude verse 9. In Jude 9, it was Michael the archangel bringing a railing accusation against the devil, which he would not do. Here, it's those under them. They will not bring railing accusation against human rulers, though those human rulers be far inferior to them but they know they have an office from God. Do you know that civil rulers have an office from God that keeps you from thinking evil and speaking evil about them? That's the lesson. That's the rule. Angels honor human rulers, and we want to learn by this example. By these two passages, we learn that angels honor both Satan and Adolf Hitler. 
Adolf Hitler held an office given to him by God. The office was ordained by God. Adolf Hitler was ordained by God. And to whatever degree of mental sanity or insanity the man possessed, which we'll never know, that was ordained by God. And the way that he was moved at times, from time to time in fits of anger and rage, that is the Lord's, not ours. And the angels do not bring railing accusation. They do not call Adolf Hitler names. Have we ever called him a name? Have we ever called a president of the United States a name? Yes, we've brought railing accusations at times against them in our thoughts. We're not supposed to curse the king, not even in our thoughts. And so this is the Word of God seeking to teach us to be the humble, modest, sober, careful, guarded, respectful citizens that we should be of the United States of America. Recall with me, Adolf Hitler was the people's choice and was elected to office. He got Germany back to work. He filled a beaten nation with pride, with power, and got rid of World War I reparations being paid. A great accomplishment. They became a very productive state. They loved it. Until the firebombing started from the Allies. So remember that when you look from the jaundiced eye of an American, viewing Germany only through the history that you've been allowed to read your entire life, There's another side, and I'm not saying that he was a godly man, nor that Germany's a godly nation. It's just not as bad as it's painted out to be. He helped them a great deal for 15 years until the war overcame them and brought their second destruction within 20 years or 30 years. Angels should see your honor of authority since they look for it. Does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10 that a woman ought to have the symbol of being under authority on her head of long hair because of the angels? Does it say that? If it says that about hair, what about us blowing off our mouths about a government ruler? Let's not do it. It's wrong. The angels see it. In Ecclesiastes 10, Solomon reasoned, don't curse the king or the rich in your bedchamber because a bird of the air might tell the news that you've been shooting off your mouth. Well, you don't have to wonder if there's a bird of the air in your bedroom or in your house. There's angels watching. By the way, what was their other name? Watchers. If they are watchers over our government, let them see our virtue. If they're watching us, let them see our virtue. Let's give them a demonstration like Michael gave us a demonstration in Jude verse 9 by not bringing a railing accusation against the devil himself. Let's not do it. Last evening when I wrote you, or yesterday morning when I wrote you the preparatory email for this weekend's preparation, I pointed out some things for you to think about the present president that we have and we've had for eight years to look at it differently than you have in the past. Why in the world would you think, in the case of, say, the riots in the streets of Ferguson, that he would ever make a choice and do something like you think he should? He wasn't ever elected to do that. He was given a mandate to never do that. 
he is very consistent with the constituency that put him in office. And they liked him so much, they put him there a second time. There's so much that could be said. He grew up in a broken home. He was raised a Muslim in Indonesia. He went to Harvard. That's three terrible stacks against him. How in the world is he supposed to think clearly? Respect him. He's been passionate about an agenda that he was given. He was faithful to it. He's consistent with it. He hasn't waffled. He's done what they want him to do. Remember that. The majority of our nation asked exactly what they got. We're in the minority. The Lord's just helped us out recently. Maybe. We'll trust the Lord for that. Okay, number 25. There's so much more could be said on any one of these points. Lord, teach us the humility that even Michael the archangel had when in the presence of the devil, he would not rail on him. Or in the, in the face of human rulers, the dignities mentioned in 2 Peter 2.10, that is the plural in plural pronoun, or the antecedent in verse 11, they bring not against them those digni- human dignities. The angels don't rail on them because they know they have an office appointed from God. Very Great lesson for us. Number 25, David mocked political worry. The four words for rule number 25 or suggestion number 25, David mocked political worry. David knew firsthand the threat of ungodly rulers. He was chased around by... Saul, for 10 to 15 years, like a dog, lived in the woods, lived in caves, lived among the Philistines. He knew firsthand about ungodly rulers because Saul of Benjamin, the first king of Israel, was an ungodly ruler in the way that he treated David especially. He wrote psalms to comfort the fearful and to warn us if we would but read and believe them. And I've given those psalms to you the last couple of weeks to read. Psalm 2, Psalm 11, Psalm 27, 46, 75, 82, 83, 146. These psalms convey to us the heart and understanding of David that there's a God in charge and he is judging and standing in the congregation of the mighty and will judge all evil rulers. We don't have to do it and our lips aren't going to do anything about it anyway except get us, un- get us in trouble and show our disrespect of God's ordinations. He prayed for help and admitted vulnerability to his enemies. He succeeded them all. Did he succeed them all by killing Saul when he had the opportunity? Did Did he succeed them all by being subversive and seditious against Saul? No. Can you believe? I love to win. And I want us to win God's way. Do you? Did he answer our prayers of a couple weeks ago? I believe, I believe he sees, and the angels have seen, that church in Greenville has changed. They have pulled apart their personalities and taken the parts that were displeasing to thee, Almighty God, and cast them on the ground and stomped on them for the last number of years. And they are now beseeching thee for mercy toward their land. And the Lord heard our prayers. I want to give him that. David succeeded all of his enemies. What about when his son Absalom won the hearts of all of Israel and chased David from Jerusalem into the woods, wilderness? 
Did he succeed him? In just a few days, he succeeded him. Right. He buried him. Did he succeed his internal enemies like Joab? Yeah. He, yes. And on and on we could go. The, David mocked political worry. And by mocking it, I mean he did, not, he did not worry about it or make it a big thing or let it alter his life. He went to the Lord in prayer. He went to the Lord in prayer and went about his duties and discharged his office well. He honored, he honored King Saul during his life on many occasions, and even at his death, he honored him very highly. Could David have brought up negative things about King Saul at his death to help him look like a better king to take care of Israel for the next 40 years? Could he have done that? Would most men have done that? David did the opposite of that. David sang the praises of Saul. If you want to have the heart of David, and I want that for each of you, man or woman, boy or girl, love your enemies, especially those in office. Humble yourself. Praise them. I want to find every bit of good in our present president that I can and understand why he makes the choices he does. There's a reason. The reason is very logical. It's very sensible. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's done it well. He got a second term of office. In their opinions. This is the man after God's own heart, David. And we should follow his wise example. He would just commit it to the Lord. Turn it over to the Lord. How many psalms are there in the 150 psalms that are describing his many enemies? That are, and his strong enemies. And his enemies taking counsel against him. And his enemies conspiring against him. And what does he say? I prayed for them as if they were my own brother. So who wins in the end? Of course David does. It's a, wonder, it's a, different, way to, it's a different way to look at it all. I wish I'd have been taught all of this. I'm 59 years old. About 55 years ago, all of this, I could have used it. But Lord, we thank you for the truth now. He knew about rulers. He knew what a good ruler was, a bad ruler was. He described the Lord Jesus Christ on his deathbed in, in the glorious terms that I've shared with you from 2 Samuel 23. Okay, number 26, cast down, not destroyed. Number 26 a rule for getting along with government and surviving and succeeding and being at peace and thriving in the sight of God. Number 26, cast down, not destroyed. When we turn in the Bible to Esther, the story of the Persian government and a law for genocide of the Jews that was sent out, we can read in Esther chapter 3 and verse 15 that the city of Shushan, or the capital, was perplexed. The posts went out. The, the posts went out with the decree from Ahasuerus of genocide. That is, the annihilation of a group of people by race, culture, nation, so forth. The Jews were all to be killed. Haman had got King Ahasuerus to sign this into law. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink with a decree of genocide released on the population. But the city Shushan was perplexed. Are we going to be perplexed at times? Yes. 
Was Paul ever perplexed? Yes. But did he despair? No. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's remind ourselves of all that is written there in addition to cast down but not destroyed. Shushan was perplexed by the decree of genocide because these Jews had become friendly neighbors there in Persia with the Persians, and for a decree to come out to say on such and such a date, we're going to kill every Jew. That was hard to understand. And so it says they were perplexed. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8. This is Paul speaking about himself. We are troubled on every side. Is that true about Paul's life? Yeah. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Oh, brethren, can we learn that lesson? Never to be distressed. That means getting stressed so much that you're twisted out of shape. Engineers in here should understand what distress means. It's stress that twists you out of shape. Thankfully, I can only know that from reading a dictionary. I just want all the rest of you to chuckle with me. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are not twisted out of shape. We are perplexed, like the citizens of Shushan, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We know God's still with us. Cast down, discouraged maybe, but not destroyed. Those two verses are precious. So it's a rule of how we read the news, and the less you read of it, the less temptation you'll have to be twisted out of shape. So there isn't a whole lot of wisdom in reading the news, but that'll come later. We want to remember this. Paul ruled his trouble, his perplexity, his persecution, and his discouragement so that it did not defeat or destroy him. Let's not be distressed. Let's not be in despair. When David was desperate, and you know when he was desperate the most? When he crowned a hill and saw that Ziklag, where his wives and children were, had been burned to the ground and everyone taken captive, and he and his men were entirely exhausted, and the men wanted to stone David for the grief that they were feeling for losing their families. It's 1 Samuel 30, verses, first six verses. It was terrible. But it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. We sang this morning, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. That should comfort us. And so, cast down, not destroyed, when we see political news or political things happening. You are specifically told not to marvel about the knowledge of oppression that occurs. Remember Ecclesiastes 5.8? When thou seest the oppression in a province, the twisting of judgment and justice. Don't marvel at it. Trust the God that's higher than them. You will see governmental error, and you will see governmental oppression. How will you respond? Let's trust the Lord. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's go about our business. Let's be respectful and honest citizens. God's in charge of it all. God's in charge of the oppression. He's using it. When Sennacherib was pounding all the nations around Judah and then Judah, it was God doing it. 
He was the one using the saw. Just every event is good. When you see that God's behind it. It doesn't mean that those involved in it are innocent. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the worst event in the history of the world politically. The Roman Empire failed in their duties. Pilate failed his office. But God was in charge of the whole thing, so it was the greatest event of all time. Though it was the most evil event of all time for those involved in doing it. But for us looking back at it, we have a monthly celebration of it. That it was the greatest event of all time. Yet it was the worst event of all time. How do we reconcile the two? From God's perspective, it was the best. He was accomplishing infinitely wise and beautiful purposes, yet those that were involved in it were judged severely for it. The Jews that delivered him over to Pilate were destroyed 40 years later. If you get destroyed by political news, you don't have very much faith. Grow up. There's nothing, nothing unusual going on. The situation in our country is still a whole lot better than we deserve, and it's a whole lot better than most of our ancestors for the last 2,000 years have had to endure. There's no one being taken to the town square in, in Greenville or Simpsonville or Fountain Inn and burned. No one is being fed to lions. We can, we can totally obey the Word of God freely. Number 27, we deserve much worse. Number 27, we deserve much worse. America deserves worse than she is getting. God is merciful. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, and I mean that as a nation. In Psalm 78 and verse 38, it has this text where it is describing the rebellion and continual unfaithfulness of Israel toward God, yet this is what it says. They remembered, nevertheless, let me start at verse 36, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. That is the testimony of Scripture about God's dealings with Israel. And we deserve, we deserve to be destroyed as a nation. And yet God preserves us and has mercy toward us as a nation. Things continue to roll on. We thought that it maybe was coming to an end in the 60s, but here we are 50 years later. And things continue to prosper. And we have peace and protection. Just like he did to Israel. We are not getting what we deserve. Do you have it in you to thank God that he hasn't treated us according to our iniquities? This, would, this place would look like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, some have said that if God doesn't destroy us like Sodom and Gomorrah soon, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I don't like putting the Lord in any such situation where he has to do anything. But he did judge other cities severely for crimes that we're guilty of. There's so much innocent blood flowing in this nation from the aborted children. We deserve much worse. Consider the wicked 
in this nation and their rebellion against the much greater knowledge in America than in most nations about what the will of God is. Right. I mean, we did have Ten Commandments on the walls of our schools. They may not be there now, but they were there. And in America, most everyone knows what they were, what they were, what they are. And there's other nations in the world that wouldn't know what we're referring to, right. unless they had wet, read of Western civilization. They greedily pursue and celebrate abortion, casual sex, debt, evolution, irreverence to authority, rebellion against it, sodomy, swearing, transgendering, labor unions, and we could just make this list so long and so ugly, we deserve God's judgment, but it hasn't fallen. Remember that. He's mercifully taking care of us, and we should give Him thanks and not be complaining all the time. Consider the so-called Christians in America and how they have compromised. The, the, the great knowledge that there was in America and the preaching of God's Word and the number of churches and the number of Baptist churches, and yet the compromise in those churches toward his word. You know, these so-called Christians fulfill every clause of the perilous times prophecy that the Lord has shown us and convicted us about. God is clearly very long-suffering, and we should give thanks for our tranquility. Amen. He has preserved our tranquility for a long time. If judgment has not come yet, it will, and the reprieve is for our repentance and godly living. Number 28. Lip service may help. I've preached on this recently, so we only need to take a couple of minutes. Lip service may help. Remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 17 of the immigrants in Israel taken out of Assyrian lands were being eaten by lions for not giving the Lord Jehovah any credit, and they were living in his land. So they sent back to the king of Assyria and asked for help. He sent them a priest that taught them some rudiments of worshiping Jehovah. And just with the rudiments of worshiping Jehovah, the lions disappeared. And so it says, they feared the Lord and served their idols. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do a few ceremonial things, ritual things, that honor the God of heaven, and you go ahead and have your heartfelt worship towards your idols, but God will honor even that lip service or ceremonial ritual toward God. Not always, but at times, and it is never to be presumed on. But when you look at our nation, and you hear those 250 or 500 Marines at Camp Pendleton singing, there is no God like Jehovah, 18 times in a row, you should get at least a little smile on your face. It's not being sung anywhere else by the military at a training base before being sent to the Middle East to deal with Muslims. Lip service may help. I want you to look at Ezekiel 20 and verse 39, though, to keep us honest about this particular rule, that it's not universal or absolute, but at times God does show mercy because at least we're giving him lip service in our nation. Hopefully we're giving him life service. I beseech you by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. I hope that's what we're doing, and I believe that there are other congregations and other individual believers that are living that sacrificial life to the glory of God. And so God sees them and counts them as the righteous 
that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there had been but ten. There are more than ten. And so God sees that. Then he sees lip service by 500 Marines singing, there is no God like Jehovah. There's all these different factors. We're trying to look at a few of them, 70, 80, 100 of them, in a few weeks to remind us of a stable, balanced, scriptural, biblical position about politics and government. Ezekiel 20 and verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye every one his idols, and hereafter also, if he will not hearken unto me. But pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Here were the Israelites with some outward ceremonial obedience to the Lord Jehovah while worshiping idols, but they are not given 2 Kings 17, are they? They're told, don't combine those two things because you should know better. Those Assyrians didn't know better. Those Assyrians added some religious elements to their paganism to honor the Lord Jehovah, the God of the land of Israel. But the Israelites themselves, much more was expected of them. And what happened? Nebuchadnezzar leveled their city and took them captive. So Ezekiel 20 and verse 39 is a good balancing verse to keep us honest in our application of 2 Kings 17. God's laws on any subject will work, even if practiced by religious pagans. For example, think child training, which works no matter the parental faith. If you do it God's way, as outlined in the Bible, no matter what you may believe personally, religiously, and where you may attend church, it's going to work far better than Benny Spock and his ideas on child care. To the degree pagan nations practice God's civil laws, they will advance. And when you look at nations that have advanced civil laws, Contracts, military, courts, the closer they are, forget religion. The closer they are to following the Bible, whether it be Hammurabi or someone in the present day, there's a benefit to following the wisdom of God's words. And we can look around and see some of that. Number 29, perfect peace in Jehovah. Perfect peace in Jehovah. Sometimes through this list, there will be a little bit of redundancy or overlap. But the points are so valid and necessary for us, I did not pull them. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Where are you going to put your mind when it comes to political things? When it comes to our government? If you put it on the Lord Jehovah, there's perfect peace. Thou wilt keep him. It'll be a divine operation upon his soul. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. If we trust in the new administration that's coming, you're not going to have perfect peace because they're going to disappoint you about eight times an hour. 
Don't do it. Put your trust in the Lord Jehovah. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. It's one of the rare places in the Bible where we have the name Jehovah in all capital letters in our King James Bible. And so that's where perfect peace is, and let's remember that. You can compare rule number 29 to rule number 1 because God has absolute rule over all, and we should not fear anything. There is no peace learning about conspiracies, because you're not learning the truth anyway. There's no peace learning about legislation, military programs. You're not getting the classified information. You're getting the sanitized information. Peace for a child of God walking in the Spirit comes by very different means than learning worldly things or political things. If you derive peace from political information... If you get peace from political information, you're either reprobate or carnal. Because you can't get peace from that junk. You might get information, but you can't get peace. The only place you can get peace is from the Lord Jehovah. Let's be very careful and value this information above any other information. And the God of this Bible is the one that keeps us safe. Such information, furthermore, not only does getting peace from it is not, it is, you can't get real peace from it. Such information is more spin than truth. I don't care what source you have for it. It's more spin than truth. There's spin in both ditches. We want the crown of the road. There's only one book that doesn't have spin. It's the Bible. Love it. Trust it. Are you willing to step over the gunnel of a ship and walk on water with it? Are you? How do we do that politically? Trust God to take care of us in 2016, 2017, and 2071. We'll leave that to our grandchildren. There's so much spin. Everyone has an agenda. Forty writers had an agenda. The will of God for us. To reveal truth to us that can't be known any other way. We can't learn about Jesus Christ looking at a rose, though looking at a rose in detail is a very pleasant experience. Here is an agenda that's true. All other writers and all other speakers have an agenda. Bring everything back to the Word of God. That's where your perfect peace can be. As a boy, with limited money for funds, I always wanted the current almanac so that I could read about all the armies on earth. And if you would have asked me how many men in China's army, how many men in Russia's army, how many men in Germany's army, while I was growing up, I could have told you how many planes they had, how many tanks they had, how many aircraft carriers, how many submarines, because I was concerned about the future of America And so my concern exercised itself in learning all these numbers. What did God say about numbers? Why did 70,000 men die in Israel? Because David numbered Israel. Joab warned him, David, do not do this. It does not matter with the Lord. The numbers don't matter. And I I want to share that with all of you. What if, what if it's already true? 
that a couple of nations on earth like Russia and China could unite together, and they finally have more flyable planes than we do. What if that's, what if that's true? Are we going to get scared? Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. One angel of the Lord can handle anything on earth. We should trust that and be in perfect peace all the time. We can read about new aircraft carriers. We can read about new submarines. We can read about new drones. We can read about President Putin's new weapons against the West and say the Lord's going to take care of us. We've got a missile shield better than anything the U.S. has developed. And we do. And the Lord may open that shield and, and send it right into my chest. But do you know that's perfect peace too? Because then you're with the Lord and you wouldn't have long to think about it. And I'm not... Uh, that's the worst that could happen, right? The Lord opens up a missile shield that He's got over the United States. I mean, we look at things that have happened in especially the Second World War. This generation, the, us older men, have, have a, an appreciation for the Second World War, and we see some of the events that took place there that God obviously was involved in. We look at Dunkirk, we look at Midway, we look at other events, and we can see that God was involved, and God can be involved at any point He chooses to be. Right. And if we live righteously and we put our trust in Him, He will deliver us. Jeremiah, the women are being raped, the temple is being bulldozed to the ground, and the city of Jerusalem is being completely taken down. Most are dead. The rest are being chained up for a 500-mile walk to Babylon. What does Nebuchadnezzar say to Jeremiah? Where would you like to live? What can we set up for you here? Come on. In the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 A.D., did Jesus say that if he did not shorten those days, even the elect would be destroyed? Does it say that in Matthew 24? Yeah. Did he cut it short? Yeah. He cut it short. Perfect pieces in Jehovah. If you, want, if you want to read about political junk, make sure you read the Bible more, just so that you keep that side of you weighted more and, and your character being godly and trusting the Lord. Amen. Delight in God brings greater joy and blessing than anything you can read politically. Just delighting in Him. And what He has done, is doing, and will do for us. Hope is in Scripture. It's not in men. It's not in their accomplishments. It's not in their predictions. Hope is in Scripture. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. No matter where we are. So there you are in Babylon. You're now a 75, weakened old man. You were five years old when you saw the Chaldean soldiers rape your mother. You've been in Babylon for 70 years. You're 75 years old. But your hope is in God. And you were thumbing through the pages of Jeremiah like Daniel was. It tells us this in the Bible. Right. It was read to us this morning in the back room. You're thumbing your page through the pages of Jeremiah and you find out that God told Jeremiah that Israel would only be in Babylon 70 years. 
and you get some hope from Scripture. Then the newspaper arrives at your front door, you pick it up, there's a three-inch headline, all Jews go back to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the city and the temple, and I'll pay for it. Cyrus the Persian. Now, how much did he suffer? This man that I'm talking about, how much did he suffer for 70 years? He had to build himself a house, he had to plant himself a vineyard, and he had to marry his children and grandchildren off. Does that sound decent? That's Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Did the Lord take care of them? Yes, because he was righteous and survived. Those that were idol worshipers in Jerusalem didn't survive. Number 30. Changers and meddlers sin. Changers and meddlers sin. It's Proverbs 24. I've taught it before. These are verses that many of us did not know in an earlier time in our lives. Even though we may have read the book of Proverbs, these didn't stand out to us. Until the Lord opens your eyes, nothing stands out in the Word of God. Proverbs 24, 21, my son, fear thou the Lord and the king. They belong together because the Lord sets up kings. The Lord even calls kings by his name, God, with a little g. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. Those that want to change government, revolutionaries, free thinkers, call them whatever you want. Those that want to change government, It's like children wanting to change the way parents operate the household. They're changers. Meddle not with them that are given to change. So we've got two events. We've got revolutionaries that want to change government, and we've got those that meddle with them. Listen to them, talk to them, listen to their radio programs, read their literature. My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly. And who knoweth the ruin of them both? There's going to be great judgment coming from God upon such men. So get yourself away from them and distance yourself from them. The Lord and kings are so closely connected that to resist one is to resist the other. Romans 13. Whoso resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. He resists God and he's going to bring upon himself swift damnation. Changers push revolution to change authority, whether it's God or the civil authority, the civil ruler. Meddlers are those that read or listen to the propaganda ideas of such changers. Both kinds of men will be destroyed severely, revolutionaries and followers. Look at Genesis 49. This was a text that the Lord, in studying for this 30th point, which I thought I knew pretty well from writing a proverb commentary on both verses, but the Lord impressed this passage upon me. This is Jacob on his deathbed going through his 12 sons and blessing or cursing them. Genesis 49. Remember son one, Reuben, slept with Jacob's wife. Son four was Judah, from whom the scepter would never depart, but Jesus Christ would come through Judah. Sons two and three, Simeon and Levi, They killed a whole city where their father Jacob had made a covenant with that city. Verse 5. Simeon 
and Levi are brethren. Brothers two and three in Jacob's family. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will, that's just what's described of revolutionaries in Second Peter 2 and Jude, in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Can you, can you imagine your father saying, I'm going to die today, so would you sons please come and gather around my bed for my fa- sweet farewell. This is the sweet farewell for sons two and three. The words I want you to notice and the words the Lord impressed upon me are we're not even to meddle with those that are given to change. These two brothers were bent on rebellion, revolution, and overthrowing and killing every inhabitant in a city because they had fornicated with their daughter, with their sister, Dinah. What does Jacob say about that whole conspiring between the two of them and they're planning this great act of vengeance against a city. Verse 6, O my soul, come not thou into their secret. Do not get involved in their conspiracy. Unto their assembly, where they're gathering, mine honor be not thou united. I don't want anything to do with these two sons or their tribes. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall and took out a city is what's being described, but notice him talking to his soul to stay away from their secrets, to stay away from their assembly, and for his honor not to be united with them. We should not give our honor, we should not give respect to those that speak against government. See, we're at two levels. We shouldn't do it, and we shouldn't meddle with those that do do it. We shouldn't give honor to those that do it. Jacob didn't kill anyone in Shechem, And Jacob didn't want to have anything to do with the two brothers that killed those in Shechem. Just want you to see that as another example from the Word of God. Look at Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 on a similar note of this point. Changers and meddlers sin, and we don't want to do that. We should make every effort to distance ourselves and to despise civil revolt, sedition, undermining of government, evil speaking against government. Not only should we not do it, let's not give honor to the fools that do do it. Honor is not seemly for a fool. We should not do it. It's going to come back and hit you in the forehead. Where does it say that in the Bible? It says giving honor to a fool is like binding a stone in a sling. Bind a stone in a sling. Bind the stone so that it can't come out of the pouch. And then apply all the centrifugal force that is necessary to sling a billiard ball one quarter of a mile. That's what they could do. Do you know how much centrifugal force that is? Tie tie the stone in the sling. Do you know where it's going to end up? About right there. Instead of being released and going out, it's going to continue on its circuitous route right to your forehead. And so the Bible says, don't giving honor to a fool is like tying a stone in a sling. It's not only very ineffective at hitting a target, it's very destructive to yourself. 
All of this has been written up in proverb commentaries. But right now, let's adjust just a little bit to Exodus 23 and verse 2. This is the word of God. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak to a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. There's two expressions in this verse that I want you to notice. A multitude. That means many people. And after many in the second clause of the verse. Meaning it's popular. There's a large number of people that are doing something that is wrong. Don't follow them. It doesn't matter how many. So sometimes in this pulpit, when we say we don't care who and we don't care how many, we are just referring to the Word of God. Numbers do not prove truth or wisdom. In fact, numbers generally prove the opposite. Because the truth and wisdom has been held by a minority. Let's be that minority. So when we think about changers and meddlers and those that want to speak against government and talk about it and say, well, it would work so much better if it was done this way. How do they know? They can't even manage a family, let alone a government. Shut your mouth. We're going to come back to 2 Peter 2 and Jude where it says they do not know what they're talking about. They're like brute beasts. It's like your dog or your kitten speaking against your rule of your home. You do not know what goes on in government. You do not know how many different directions competing, opposing, violently severe directions our present president is pulled every day. For those of you that have worked in an office, you've seen a little microcosm of it. You know that there's so many political games going on in an office. And the things that take office, what's it called? Office politics. Think of unbelievable if we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But why do I give President Barack Hussein Obama the benefit of the doubt? Because the Bible tells me that I don't know what goes on up there. And I am willing to humble myself and say, I don't know what goes on up there. And he has got to be dealing with things I can't even imagine. Because there are sometimes I feel overwhelmed and I'm not dealing with anything in comparison. Never follow a multitude. It doesn't matter whether it's popular. It doesn't matter if it's popular among Christians. We live in the perilous times of the last day. I would assume that bad things are popular among Christians today because of God's word. One more, number 31, cursing rulers is sin. Cursing rulers is sin. It's against God's ordinance and angels. It can come out and be known. Cursing rulers is sin. Ecclesiastes 10.20. I know you know this. Repetition is how we learn. Repetition is how we get convicted if the Holy Spirit is accompanying the Word and is in your heart. I don't want us to do this. I have done this so much in the past. Curse not the king, Ecclesiastes 10.20. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Lawyers, doctors, lobbyists, rich, corporate heads, rich men, don't curse them. Don't curse the Rothschilds. You don't know anything about the Rothschilds. Everything that you have been told about the Rothschilds was approved by the Rothschilds 
for you to know them a little tiny bit in the way they want you to know them. There is no one that has an inside information on the Rothschilds that has survived to talk about it. You should understand that without me even explaining it. But you read it, you get a literature, you see, you see this blog on the, on the internet, and it's got pictures of the Rothschilds, and oh, it looks, it's got a family crest with the five arrows in the father's hand of the five sons and the five banking capitals of Europe. This has got to be truth. It's got to not be truth, or it wouldn't be out there. Oh, all I'm trying to do is give meat to the verse. When it says, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, do you know how many people we've blown off about? Have you ever blown off about the Rockefellers? You don't know anything about the Rockefellers. You say, I once read a book about them. It was written by a liar. Let God be true, but every man a liar. That good Baptist knew how to run a business, and he sure did run it until he owned 3% of the net worth of the entire United States of America. And he didn't do it criminally. He was just first with better ideas than anyone else could come up with. Right. In refining and distributing oil. Why do you hate them? Because you were taught to hate them. I read the books. I probably read more about them. Can you handle watching one of those new DVDs that are out there that some of you have told me about? And you're going to have to probably remind me of the title, but it's The Great Men That Built America. The Carnegies, the Vanderbilts, the Morgans, the Rockefellers. What's the title of that series? I know nobody wants to say it because they'll be stoned in the parking lot afterwards. Um, I can't remember the title of it. it it's The Titans of America or something. It, it, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. You'll say, well, they didn't, work. they didn't worship at a primitive Baptist church. Since when did the nursing fathers and nursing mothers in the history of the world ever worship at a primitive Baptist church? Right. Right. Did they build America? Did they create 100,000 jobs for people that otherwise would have a stick in dirt trying to eke out a living? Right. There's so many. Why am I, why am I running this rabbit trail? I'm not running a rabbit trail. I'm trying to explain to you that when you open your mouth and blast off about some profession or somebody that's rich, you're going against Ecclesiastes 10.20. You don't know how they got rich. You do not know their character. You do not know what they're doing with their riches. Some of those titans of industry gave away such large amounts in philanthropy to libraries and schools and private schools and nursing schools around the country. The numbers are crushing. Mm -hmm. They're huge numbers. I'm not saying they're the Good Samaritan necessarily, but they sure look like it. They sure look like they're worth a billion Good Samaritans. Mm -hmm. Building hospitals at their cost. Do you know what it takes to build a hospital and staff it? You say, why are you praising the rich? Because Ecclesiastes 10.20 tells me not to curse them. Right. And I've read a whole lot of literature in my time, and I've heard a whole lot of hot air Cursing them. You don't like the Vanderbilts? Then don't go visit in Asheville. Bet uh, Biltmore. You don't like J.P. Morgan? Then bank with Bank of America. You don't like Rockefeller? Then use kerosene. Um, I don't know. 
Come on, let's... How do you think America went from pilgrims in 1620 being thankful for Indian, Indians teaching them to put a fish down in a hole with three kernels of corn in order to eat? From that to this. Do you think it, do you think it happened because the guys with the sticks in the ground were really diligent? Or did God raise up some real titans that had big picture, that saw a big picture of things that we can't even imagine and put all their capital at risk on the line and many thousands and millions of people got to work because they took a big picture view of everything and put all their capital on the line. Okay. Cursing rulers is sin and cursing the rich is sin. Avoid most of the world's events and news to avoid its spin, raising your anger. By height of authority, there is less reason to curse Adolf Hitler than your children to curse you. You're not perfect. He wasn't, but his office is far above yours. Do not speak evil of dignities. You do not have the right or wisdom to do so. It's not your place to condemn them. Look at Job 34 and we'll close. Job 34. Job 34. When I say chapter 34, who's speaking? Is it, is it Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Job, or Elihu? So we can trust the words and their application. In Job 34, here's an example passage. We're not, to, we're not to curse the gods. When it says that in the Bible, does that mean we can't curse Baal? Can't curse Jupiter? Can't curse Allah? When it says don't curse the gods, Exodus 22, verse 28. It's just a backup to Ecclesiastes 10, 20. Don't curse the ruler of the people. Don't, don't curse the civil ruler. Job 34, verse 18. Is it fit to say to a king, thou art wicked? That's a rhetorical question. No, it is not appropriate. It is not your place to tell him that. Is it fit to say to a king, thou art wicked, and to princes, ye are ungodly? How much less, since it's not right to do it to them, how much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they are all the works of his hands. Elihu is speaking to Job. Job? Stop talking the way you're talking. You're criticizing and condemning God for the way he's treating you? Is it right for you to tell a king that he's wrong? Is it right for you to tell a prince that he's wrong? Of course it's not. How much less do you have of a right to tell God that he's wrong? Do you understand the weight of the passage here? Lord, help us. These are things we haven't done well in the past. We can do well in the future. And God can look down from heaven and his angels can watch us and see that we love his authority and he'll bless us for it. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.